0: Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Equipped to Serve, a study in Paul's pastoral epistles. Here's Pastor Nick
1: and good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. So in your New Testament, the book of 1 Timothy, currently on Sunday mornings, what we're doing is we're studying through a series of letters in the New Testament called the Pastoral Epistles. These are three letters that Paul the Apostle wrote to two young pastors, Timothy and and Titus, and as we're going through these letters, our title for our study of these letters is called "Equipped to Serve." We believe that you know that's part of what God has called us to do. As He's called us to Himself, the next thing He wants us to do is be equipped so that then we can serve others in His name. So today we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. We like to study through books of the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. So today we're picking up where we left off last week in First Timothy chapter four, starting in verse six, and. We'll We'll go to the end of the chapter. So go ahead and open up your Bibles there, your Bible apps, if you're using an app to do that. And as we open up in our Bibles, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we just give our attention to you. And we ask that you'd speak to us during this time. We ask that you would move through these words by your Spirit on our hearts and minds, Lord, that we might be transformed into the people you desire us to become. Lord, help us that we wouldn't be conformed to the ways of this world, but that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds into the image of Christ, and that this study would be a part of that process. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2005, I became a senior pastor for the first time in my life. I was 21 years old, and my wife and I, we had just gotten married a few months earlier. I had been working in a church prior to that for a couple of years, but now I was a senior pastor. I was the pastor of a church, and I was 21 years old. And I quickly realized that you know there are some unique challenges that come along with being a young pastor. One of those challenges is I had zero life experience. Oftentimes you hear like pastors talk about their life experience and I had none, right? Uh, None at all. And so, um, you know, what what are you going to talk about if you don't have life experience? Well, I I guess I had to just teach the Bible, right? And uh, the other thing that was really unique about being a young pastor was that most of the people for years that I pastored in churches, most of the people were older than me. And so I remember at that time talking with another pastor, right after I had become a senior pastor there at 21 years old. I remember meeting with a few other pastors and talking to this one guy in particular and telling him how I hated the fact that I was so young. And I just wished that I was older so that my age would not be a barrier for people receiving from me as their pastor. And I'll never forget what this guy said to me. He said you know, there's nothing wrong with being young. In fact, he said, you know, what's going to happen is one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to be young anymore. And so rather than viewing your youth as a problem— Rather, you need to view it as a blessing and as an advantage that you uniquely have that other people don't. And he says, here's the key. The key to being effective as a young pastor is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says to Timothy, who himself was a young pastor, Paul says, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith, and in purity— And he says, and devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so this pastor friend of mine, he said to me, so here's what you need to do. You need to teach the Bible, and do it well, and be humble. And make sure you live and act in a way that's worthy of respect. And if you do those things, it won't matter if you're young, because people will be happy to follow you and receive from you, because you won't be pointing them to yourself, you'll be pointing them to Jesus. And that was really good advice, you know. And all those those verses from 1 Timothy, since that time, they've been a really important Part of the Scripture for me and my life personally as a guide for me to follow so that I could be an effective servant of God in spite of my youth. And of course, now I few years later, I'm not as young as I used to be. But these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 4 are just as important to me now as they were back then. And here's the thing I want to tell you. They're also really important for your life as well. And maybe you say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a particularly young person. It doesn't matter. See, here's the thing. These verses are important for your life as well, no matter what stage of life you are at. And here's why. Because there will always be barriers There will always be barriers to people receiving from you the things that God wants you to share with them. There are always going to be barriers. There might be age. they might be cultural. There might be other kinds of barriers. But listen, if you want to minister to friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, there are always going to be certain barriers that have to be overcome. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, God's Word shows us, it shows us how to be effective ministers or servants of Jesus in whatever stage of life you're in right now, and it also tells us why it matters and why it's urgently important. So the title of today's message is Doctrine and Devotion. Doctrine and Devotion. What we're going to see today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16, what we're going to see is that to be effective servants of Jesus we commit ourselves to good doctrine and practical devotion in response to what he's done for us. So I'll give you that sentence one more time, and then that will serve as our guide, our outline for studying these verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So here's what we're going to see. To be effective servants of Jesus... We commit ourselves to good doctrine and practical devotion in response to what God has done for us. So let's take that statement, and we'll break it down into a few parts as our guide for this passage. So first of all, to be effective servants of Jesus. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, this passage, along with all of 1 Timothy, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy had been given a very difficult and challenging task. The task that he was given, he was called upon to take over the leadership of the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was a large, established, and influential church. At one time, the church in Ephesus was perhaps the strongest, most vibrant Christian church in the world— And yet, over time, what had happened is the leaders of the Ephesian church had allowed false teaching and unhealthy practices to take root in their church, to creep in and take root in the church. And so Paul was called, or Paul called upon Timothy. And he asked Timothy to come into Ephesus and take over leadership of this church in order to right the ship, in order to fix the problems, in order to set things right and save this church. Now for Timothy, just try to imagine what an incredibly difficult and challenging task this would have been because the people Timothy was called upon to deal with and correct and set right, the ones who were teaching the false doctrines, they didn't think that they were wrong right? They, they didn't want to change what they were doing, and they didn't want Timothy to be their pastor. What an incredibly difficult situation to be in. And on top of everything else, Timothy was a young man. Now, he had already been ministering alongside the Apostle Paul on Paul's missionary journeys. He had been ministering with Paul for several years at this point, and yet— Timothy was still a young man. He got his start in ministry very young. So at this point, when this letter is written, he's probably in his early 30s. And because of that, there were some people in the church there in Ephesus who were very quick to dismiss him as a leader because of his young age. And so Paul is writing to Timothy here in this letter to encourage him in his calling as a pastor to instruct him in how to lead this church and to guide him in how to navigate this very difficult situation. That's why Paul says here in verse 6, Timothy, this is how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now that begs two questions, two questions, right? The first question is, what does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? That's the first question. And the second question is, who is called to be a servant of Jesus Christ? In the Gospel of John chapter 15, We read about an occasion when Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Now, the moment in which this took place, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples there in John 15, it was at the Last Supper, on the night before Jesus was crucified. So there he is at the Last Supper. He's just told his disciples that he is going to go away. He's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be killed, and it's going to happen very soon. And then at that time, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he told them this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. He says, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is about to perform for them the greatest act of love and service that a person can possibly perform for another person. He is going to lay down his life as an act of service in order to save them. Previously to this, Jesus had told his disciples, he said that he, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, later this same night, as Jesus is breaking this news to his disciples that he's going to go away, later that same night, Jesus then went down to the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that if he went to that place, he would be arrested. He would be taken away, and he would be killed. And when his disciples who were with him tried to get in and defend him and fight for him to protect him, Jesus told them to lay down their weapons, and he allowed the authorities to arrest him. He submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. It was the ultimate act of love and service because it created a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, redeemed, and reconciled to God. But here's what's so interesting. Those same disciples. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? No longer do I call you my servants, now I call you my friends. Those same disciples to whom Jesus said that, that they're no longer his servants, now they're his friends. Those same disciples, when it came time later on for them to introduce themselves in the letters they wrote in the New Testament to the early church. Look at how they introduced themselves. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And you wonder, wait a second, did these guys not get the memo? Were they not taking notes? Did they not remember that Jesus clearly told them that he does not regard them anymore as servants? Now he regards them as his friends? Why then would these men insist on calling themselves servants of Jesus Christ? Well, the reason is because all of these men had seen what Jesus had done for them. They had seen how Jesus humbled himself, made himself a servant for their sakes in order to serve them and in order to save them. And what that did when they saw that, when they realized it, what it did is it caused them to say, because of how Jesus loved me, because of how Jesus served me, the greatest burning desire in my heart is to respond to that love by giving my life in service to him. In other words, they said, I'm not serving him because I have to. I'm serving him because I want to. There's nothing I want more. You see, here's the thing. No matter who you are, everybody is mastered by something. There is something which will master your life. And the question for you to ask yourself and to think about seriously is this. What will be the thing that masters your life? In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, right? In other words, you think that you're free. You think you're under control, but you know what? If you're practicing sin, you are a slave to that thing. You're not free. It's a master. It's ruling your life. But then he said this, the slave does not remain in the house forever. A son remains forever. So if the son, Jesus is saying, he sets you free, then you will be free indeed. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. He lived and he died. He rose from the grave in order to set us free from bondage and mastery of sin over our lives, from bondage of sin and death. Therefore, in Jesus We have been set free. We are now friends of God, free. Let me ask you this. What kind of person in their right mind, if they're a free person, what kind of person in their right mind would ever choose to give up their freedom? What kind of person would ever do something like that? Would anybody ever really do that? Well, I'll tell you, people do that all the time. You know who gives up their freedom? Somebody who's in love. You ever think about this? Who in their right mind as a free person would give up their freedom in order to serve someone else? The kind of person who does that? someone who's in love. You see, people who are in love, they give up their freedom all the time for the sake of the one that they love. And you think about it. When I was single, guys, I was free. I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I didn't have to. I could spend my money any way I wanted. I could watch TV in the middle of the night. I could get up, go outside, do anything I wanted. I didn't have to ask for permission. I didn't have to care what anybody thought. Somebody called me up, hey, you want to go somewhere? I'm like, yes, I'm going. And they're like, I didn't even tell you where. I don't care. We're going. I want to go right now, right? It could be two in the morning. I'm free. I do whatever I want. But now I'm almost 40 years old, guys. And if somebody calls me, like I have a job, right? Like if somebody calls me and says, hey, you want to go and do something? I'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I can. I'll probably, I'm kind of tied up for the next 20, 30 years. Um, I got to ask for my permission from my wife. She's probably going to say no. It's probably better if we just don't plan anything. Uh, you know, oh, I got to check my kid's schedule. I got to see if, uh, let me check with work and see if I can do that, right? In other words, what have I done? I've given up my freedom. Now I have to ask permission to spend my own money. Guys, I used to be free. And now my whole life, centers around serving the needs of other people. What what have I done? Who in their right mind would give up freedom in order to spend their life serving someone else? I'll tell you who. Somebody who's in love. You see, someone who has found something that is so good and so beautiful that is worth living for and dying for and sacrificing for, that's the kind of person who uses their freedom to get something better. And see, for Peter and for Jude and for James and for Paul, they understood that that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that Jesus has set you free from bondage to sin and death. He has made you a friend of God. And when you realize all that he's done for you and how beautiful and how good he is, it moves your heart so much that the only thing you want to do is to give the rest of your life in service to him to do his will, to do his work, so that hopefully even through you, other people might come to know the love and the truth, the freedom and the grace that you've come to know through him. To be a servant of Jesus Christ means that in response to what Jesus has done to save you, you respond by surrendering your life to him and making him your Lord. See, as your Lord, that that means that he gets to set the agenda for your life from that point on. And the question you ask when Jesus is your Lord, the question at the forefront of your mind is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What would you have me do in this situation, Lord? What would you have me do with my life or here or there? And what you find is that because God loves people, serving Jesus very often looks like serving people. Serving Jesus very often looks like being the conduit, the one through whom God blesses and serves others. See Timothy was called to serve Jesus by shepherding these people, this group of people who were who were under his care as their pastor. He was called to teach them and to speak God's truth into their lives and lead them in God's ways. But in order for Timothy to do that effectively, there were some things that he needed to give attention to and focus on. We're going to see what those are in the following verses. But listen, whoever you are, If you're a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is to be a servant of Jesus. Someone who says, Lord, what would you have me do? Perhaps in your life, there are some people that God has called you to shepherd. Maybe it's your kids or your neighbors, co-workers or team members or friends. But however God has called you to serve him, in order to serve him effectively, to be an effective servant of Jesus Christ, there are some things that are essential for you to focus on and give your attention to. And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. To be effective servants of Jesus, we commit ourselves to good doctrine, first of all. Paul says at the end of verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. In order for Timothy to be able to serve God effectively, in order for him to be able to shepherd these people well, Timothy needed to be a student of God's word. That's what it says there when he says that he should be trained in the words of the faith. The words of the faith refers to the Holy Scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, In order for Timothy to be able to lead and shepherd others well, he needed to be filling his mind with good doctrine and feeding his soul with the words of Scripture. That's why it's so interesting that other translations of this verse here in verse 6, almost every other translation other than the ESV, the English Standard Version, which we use on Sunday mornings, almost every other translation translates it like this. They say, nourished in the words of the faith and i love that that phrase and that idea of being nourished in the words of the faith because there's this sense in which the words of scripture good doctrine is like nourishment for your soul like good food it helps you grow it helps you become strong and it helps you be healthy Paul says then, starting in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So this is the other side of the coin. On the one side, give your attention to good doctrine. But on the other side, don't have anything to do with irreverent and silly myths. You know, there's some people, right, who rather than sticking to the scriptures, they get off into all kinds of other silly nonsense that's not from the Bible. It's just in their quest for spirituality. They're looking here. They're looking there. Paul says, no, no, no. Ignore that silliness. Get away from that stuff. You stick to the Scriptures. That's what you need to train yourself, to nourish your soul in good doctrine. That's what will equip you to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Stick to the Scriptures. In addition to good doctrine, now Paul shifts to another area of focus in order for us to be effective servants of Jesus. Brings us back to our sentence, to be effective servants of Jesus. We commit ourselves, first of all, to good doctrine and also to practical devotion. Practical devotion. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 7. He says, train yourself for godliness. For while Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, ancient Greek and Roman culture placed a very high value on physical fitness. This is the culture from which we get the Olympic Games, from which we get the gymnasium, from which we get athletics and boxing and wrestling. They all come from this Greco-Roman culture in which Timothy was living. And so Paul, writing to Timothy at this time, in this culture, he says, Timothy, in the same way that an athlete trains physically, I want you to put that same kind of intention and effort and commitment into your pursuit of godliness. Just like the people, when you walk by in the morning, you see the people at the gymnasium working out, training their bodies. I want you to train yourself in godliness with that same kind of diligence and effort. What does it mean to be godly? Well, to be godly means to be like God, right? In your attitudes, in your outlook, and in your actions. To be like God in your attitudes, in your outlook, and in your actions. And God tells us in the book of Romans, for example, God tells us that his goal for your life Here's where he wants to take you rather than being conformed to this world, right? Rather than the world shaping you and making you think and act like everyone else in the world. No, no, no. God wants to do something different rather than being conformed. He wants you to be transformed and into what? Into the image of Christ to become more and more like Jesus every day. And so here's the thing as the the way that we grow spiritually is very similar to the way that a person grows physically. In order to grow and develop physically, you need two things, right? You need nourishment and you need exercise. Well, in the same way, in order to grow spiritually, we need nourishment and we need exercise to put it into practice. So both are needed. Good doctrine and practical devotion. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, As good and as valuable as physical training surely is, growing in godliness is even more valuable because he says godliness holds a promise for this life and for the life to come. In other words, godliness benefits you in this life right here and now and in the life to come. You know, Christianity is not just a a pie-in-the-sky faith that says, you know, this life may be really hard, but if you do good, you'll get to go to heaven when you die. That's not the only hope of Christianity is going to heaven when you die. There's more than that. You see, Christianity holds hope for this life as well. Now, now, here's why. Think about this. Following Jesus and living a godly life, I truly believe, will make your life here on earth better. It doesn't promise to make you rich. It doesn't promise to make all your problems go away. It doesn't promise to make you healthy or comfortable or anything like that. That's not the promise that Paul's talking about here. But truly, following Jesus and living a godly life will lead to a better life in this sense It will lead to the most fulfilling, most contented life you can possibly live, a life of true purpose and meaning and value here in this world until your life here is over. You see, when you live a godly life, you know, there are a couple benefits. One of the benefits is, when you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you know what? You get to avoid a lot of drama and trauma that you bring upon yourself by getting into a life of sin and ungodliness. When you do those things, right? Sin causes destruction in your life. It causes drama and trauma, and you get to avoid all of that as you walk with Jesus. But here's the other thing. Because of what Jesus did for you, When you live this godly life in Christ Jesus, walking with God, you also get to lay your head down at night and truly rest because you know that you are right with God and that he is sovereignly working in all the details of your life, even in the difficult things. He's working all things together for your good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, living a godly life as a follower of Jesus I truly believe it is the best life you can possibly live here and now. And it comes with the promise of eternal life when this life is over. So now Paul is going to talk about what motivates us to pursue these things. Good doctrine and practical devotion. That brings us to the final part of our sentence. To be effective servants of Jesus, we commit ourselves to good doctrine and practical devotion in response to what he has done for us. Verse 9 says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Here's what motivates us, Paul says. We're not driven and motivated uh, to serve God in, in order to earn God's favor, in order to earn God's love or blessings. We don't serve God in order to justify ourselves before God as if, if we do a good enough job, maybe then God will accept us. No, no, no. We serve because of what Jesus has already done for us. Because we have this hope in God our Savior, who is Jesus Christ. It's because of what God has already done for us. That's what moves us. That's what motivates us to want to serve him and want to help others to get in on this love and grace as well. See, what we do for God is a response to what God has done for us. In verse 10, where it says that Jesus is the Savior of all people but especially of those who believe, that's a verse that that causes some people a little bit of confusion. So let's talk about that for a moment. When it says that Jesus is the Savior of all people, that doesn't mean that all people will automatically be saved whether they want to or not, right? As in some kind of universal sense. Jesus himself made it very clear that not all people will be saved, What this phrase means when it says that Jesus is the Savior of all people, what it means is that Jesus is the one Savior who has been provided for all people. In other words, there isn't a Savior for one group of people and a different Savior for another group of people. Rather, there is one Savior, not multiple Saviors that God has given to the world. So Jesus is, as it says here, the living God who is the one Savior who has been given for all people. The apostle Peter explained it like this in the book of Acts chapter 4. He said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus explained it to a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he was speaking with him. Here's how Jesus explained it. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, This is why at the end of the Gospel of John, the writer John tells us, he says, Jesus did many other things beyond what I've written here in this book, but I've written these things specifically so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So in other words, when it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, that Jesus is the Savior of all people, but especially of those who believe, what that means is that the salvation that God has purchased for all people through Jesus, it is actually given to those who put their faith in Jesus. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says there that Jesus tasted death for all people. In other words, Jesus died for all people, and yet the way you receive that gift practically is by putting your faith in what Jesus did to save you and surrendering your life to him as your Lord. Paul continues now in verse 11 where he says, command and teach these things. As Timothy teaches these things, he should do so with a sense of authority. He doesn't need to feel shy or timid or bashful about teaching these things. Rather, he should do so boldly and with a sense of authority because these things are so incredibly important. They have eternal significance. But remember, the problem in Ephesus is that there were some people who did not accept Timothy's leadership. They didn't want to receive what he had to say, and they looked down on him because of his age. So what should Timothy do about these people? Look at what Paul says again in verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That word youth is an interesting word. It's a word that was used to describe men of military age up to age 40. So in other words, this would be like late teens up to age 40. So in other words, probably in his early 30s, but he's still young. And apparently there were some older men in the church who were not showing Timothy respect, and they were blaming it, and they're saying because he was young. They didn't take him seriously but rather than telling Timothy to crack down on those people who are giving him a hard time about his age or instead of telling him to to call those people out or kick them out of the church instead Paul says here's what you should do Timothy just prove them wrong man just prove those people wrong by living in such a way that they have no choice but to notice and to and to respect you for the way that you're living if you want to have an effective life as a servant of God. I'm telling you this now. The way that you live matters a lot. This is true because here's the deal. Your actions as a Christian, they can either make it easier for people to believe the truth of God's word or they can make it harder. In other words, by your actions, either you can erect barriers that people have to get over in order to receive God's word and believe it. Or you can live in such a way that makes it easier for them to believe. In other words, let's put it this way. To be effective servants of Christ Jesus... Our goal should be to remove any unnecessary barriers that stand in the way of people receiving God's word and embracing the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus. Now I say unnecessary barriers because there are some barriers that are necessary, right? That are inherent to the gospel. Now we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to water down the gospel or something like that. But we are saying that any unnecessary barriers, things that are cultural or things that are based on our bad behavior. We want to remove those things, help people to come to faith in Jesus. What a tragedy it would be for us to make it harder for people to believe in Jesus because of our dumb actions. And so Paul, he instructed Timothy, and he instructs us in the same way. Set an example in speech, conduct, faith, and purity, so that your actions help rather than hinder When it comes to people receiving God's word and growing in relationship with him. Verse 13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching these three things, public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. These are the three key elements of a sermon that should be shared in a church gathering. Think about it. We read the Scripture publicly. We want to hear what God's Word says. Then there's an explanation of what it means, and then there's an exhortation that we should put these things into practice in our own lives. So we get on to verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that you have that was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks to the churches, about how as Christians, we together form the body of Christ here on earth. And God has distributed by his spirit different gifts to each member so that we would use those gifts for what? For the building up of the body of Christ and for the furtherance of God's mission in the world. And so here, Paul is reminding Timothy of a time and a special way that God imparted a spiritual gift to him. And he's encouraging Timothy to be confident in using that gift and fulfilling his role in the church there in Ephesus. Part of our practical devotion is for us to use the gifts that God has given us so we can serve Jesus more effectively in the church and in the world. And Paul concludes here at the end of this chapter by saying, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that others may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Again, Paul tells Timothy to give diligent attention to two things, his doctrine and his devotion. Doctrine and devotion, these things are both critically important for Timothy as a servant of Christ, both for his own sake and for the sake of those that God has called him to serve. And the same is true for you. Friends, I'll tell you this. There are certainly people whom God has called you in your life to serve and to shepherd. Maybe they're family members, maybe they're neighbors, coworkers, maybe others here at the church in ministries that you're involved in. But in order for you to be an effective servant of Jesus, It's important that you commit yourself to these two things, good biblical doctrine and practical devotion in response to what Jesus has done for you. Good doctrine will nourish your soul. It will keep you from error. God's desire, as he said in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, is that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's important that we immerse ourselves in good doctrine, both for our sakes and for the sake of others. And then on the other hand, practical devotion. For you, as you immerse yourself in that, it will be a source of joy in your life. It will be something that will save you from many troubles and heartaches. And it will be something that will cause others to be more receptive to the spiritual truths that God has for you to share with them. The message of the gospel is that in the person of Jesus, God came to us. He became one of us in order to serve us. God humbled us and became a servant for us. Or he humbled himself and became a servant for us. Through his sinless life and through his death in our place, by defeating death and rising from the grave, Jesus set us free from our bondage to sin and death. And through his death on the cross, Jesus removed the barrier that existed between us and God by paying the price for our sins and taking the judgment that we deserved. And as a result of what he did, rather than being enemies of God, now we can be friends of God. When you really understand just how much Jesus has loved you, just how much he's done for you, what it causes you to do is to respond by giving your life to him as your Lord, serving him, by serving others. And how do we do that effectively? Well, to be effective servants of Jesus, we commit ourselves to good doctrine and practical devotion in response to what he's done for us. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray.
0: You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.